Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue our study of John's Gospel with John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and All are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. 
He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. This chapter almost immediately begins with introduction to a a Pharisee by name. Most of the time that's not going to happen in the New Testament. You get the Pharisees as a group or you get a uh, a Pharisee just a Pharisee was talking to someone. But here we actually get one of them by name, a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus only shows up here in John's Gospel and he does show up near the end as well that he is going to be one of those who helps to take the body of Jesus off the cross and put him in his tomb. So the idea that Nicodemus has faith, that Nicodemus ends up being in paradise, I don't know that we can guarantee it from what we have in Scripture. But there's a good chance of it. I mean, it seems probable from what we read. So Nicodemus comes before Jesus, and he He's a ruler of the Jews. It means he's high among the Jewish people. They look to him with respect. The Pharisees are already themselves like this holier-than-thou kind of group. And so they were looked up to by most of the Jewish people. Nicodemus here, uh, seemingly even more so, he comes to Jesus at night. This would be a wonderful opportunity for a family conversation. Why did, Je- why did Nicodemus visit Jesus at night? Why not during the day? Now, in part, that's going to be the concern of Nicodemus, that his brothers, I'll call them, his fellow Pharisees, largely don't believe in Jesus, and so it would be publicly shameful for him amongst his peers to be seen interacting with Jesus in a positive way, to have a conversation like the one he's about to have. Now, it's worth pointing out that perhaps this leads to what Jesus says after the most famous Bible verse ever, uh, John 3.16, as you get later in that paragraph and Jesus is talking about light and darkness. Let's hold on to that thought until we get there, but I think there could be a connection in this. So Nicodemus acknowledges to Jesus that he is a teacher come from God. The word rabbi means teacher. He's more than that, as we know. He's not just a teacher come from God. He is God in the flesh. Nicodemus doesn't know that yet, but he's acknowledging that what they have seen Jesus do so far, so assuming some miracles that simply haven't been described here in the text, what he has seen of Jesus isn't normal. No one can do these things unless God is with him. That's his logic. It it checks, it plays, right? So Jesus responds to him, Truly, truly, I say to you. He's going to use that phrase 25 times in the book of John. He had it once back in chapter 1, three times here in his conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. 25 times in the book. In fact, the word truly will only show up once in the book of John by itself almost always doubled up like this is Jesus emphatically teaching truth to those who would follow him. And he 
terribly confuses Nicodemus by saying that he has to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then asks the obvious question as he takes it literally, can a man crawl back into his mother's womb and be born again? Moms kind of flinch at the reading of a verse like that, uh, and no wonder. Jesus responds in the same way, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, now instead of saying born again this time, he describes what being born again is, being born of water and the Spirit. This is the second spot I'd, I'd encourage a family conversation today, and that's the idea of, well, when, when are we born of water and spirit? And Jesus here is referring to baptism, and you can tell that if, you're, if you don't think so. I mean, you can see it because immediately after this conversation with Nicodemus ends, what do we see? We see Jesus going and baptizing. See the connection there? But for the Lutheran Church, it's an easy connection to make, right? The water of baptism poured over you, and in that gift of of baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and grants you faith. Water and the Spirit. We talk about that connection all the time. So you need to be baptized to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to go to paradise, baptism. Baptism saves as we would talk about from other scriptures as well. Born of the flesh, you're of the flesh. But if you're born of the Spirit, you're of the Spirit. Now, this is going to be, I don't know, prelude, precursor to a scriptural concept that's going to play out across the New Testament. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not have life. Think of the, the judgment text at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats, uh, that both, well, all people are raised, but the sheep, those who are followers of Christ, they are raised to life, whereas the goats, those who are not followers of Christ, they are raised to judgment. Both are raised, bodies resurrected from the grave, but it's not life apart from Christ. Another concept that plays out like this is you're going to have especially the phrase second death uh, that will show up in the, the book of Revelation in particular, which is also one of John's writings to us. So the idea is the first death is what we think of as death, the idea of our physical death when the body fails. The second death is casting into hell. And so... Almost in the same way here, we have this conversation of two births. The first birth is what we think of, the birth in this world. But that birth is a birth into death. We're already dead. We've been dead since the moment we were conceived because we were rebellious against the Lord. We were apart from Christ. We had nothing. Until we were born again, the second birth, the new life that is given to us through, again, water and the Spirit and the waters of baptism. You can see this actually show up a couple of times in this chapter. So look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
So he's not rescued from death. He's not born again. He's just always been dead. He's always been separate from God. There's not been a rescuing or restoring. And that shows up again in verse 36 as John the Baptist teaches his disciples and says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's our starting point. We start under the wrath of God. Jesus comes to set us free from that. But if you do not have Christ, if you reject that free gift of Christ and his salvation, you are not redeemed from it. You are not rescued. The wrath of God remains. The ending of the first paragraph here, um, verse 8, might be a little confusing for some. Uh, it confused Nicodemus, certainly. The wind blows where it wants. You hear it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Maybe the best way to look at this is the idea of get rid of your natural expectations. You think you know how the world works. You think you know how birth works. But here's the thing in nature you don't understand. There's the wind. You know it exists. You can hear it. But you don't know its source. You don't know where it comes from or where it even goes. So it is with the one who is born of the Spirit. You don't understand this. It's not of this world in that way. Another way to possibly look at this might be foreshadowing for the Pharisees in general is the idea that the wind goes where it wants, and again, you don't know where it came from or where it's going, so it will be with a Christian, that they come and go and you don't know where they're going. As the Christians flee persecution and share the gospel, I don't know that it's that one. I think it's the first idea, but it's worth throwing it out there. So Nicodemus continues to ask, doesn't understand, and Jesus kind of pokes at that. You're the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand. If even the teacher doesn't get it, how will the people? So Jesus continues to teach. He has tried to tell him. He has tried to bear witness to the things that he knows, sees, and does, and the things he has heard from God the Father, what he has been sent to do. But the Pharisees have rejected that testimony. If they can't receive earthly things, if they can't receive the simple simple things, and in this case, in Nicodemus' conversation, if he can't understand baptism, how is he going to understand the more complicated things, the more challenging things? And so I think verse 13 is an example. Verse 13 is kind of out there in terms of it doesn't seem to fit the rest of the text here. Jesus just suddenly says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. By that statement, Jesus is saying he's already ascended. God is timeless. After all, he created time, so he's not bound by it as we are. But it's an intriguing phrase nonetheless. So saying that Nicodemus would not understand this. Verse 14, though, he's going to connect to something that Nicodemus would understand, that Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness is a reference to Numbers chapter 21. So in Numbers 21, there's a fiery plague sent by God upon the people for another one of their many sins against him, and he offers them relief. He has Moses build a bronze serpent and mount it on a pole in the wilderness so that if any of the people are bitten by one of these fiery snakes and they go and they see the serpent in the wilderness, instead of dying from that bite, they will live. Now, 
they eventually turn that bronze serpent into an idol. Uh, by Second Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah destroys this thing that they have named Nehushtan and that the people worshipped as a false god. That's our sinful nature, certainly. But Jesus points it to himself. Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so people could go and look at it and live. The Son of Man will be lifted up in the wilderness so people can look at him on the cross and live. It is by looking to Christ and his crucifixion, by looking to confessing our sins, by receiving that gift of his blood shed for us for forgiveness, life, and salvation that we live. That gives us the most famous Bible verse ever known to man, John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, which you see on the posters on, on your TV when you watch a sporting event still. God loved the world. So much so that he gave us his son, his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us that we would live. Ezekiel 33, God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their wicked way and live. 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves us. He created us. He wants us to live with him forever. And he wants it so much so that he was willing to give his own life to make it happen. Verse 17 follows that. This one's, well, really the whole context usually gets lost around verse 16. But 17, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save it. So God did not step down into creation like a military advisor coming into the bunkhouse and just laying into the guys for not caring for their bunkhouse. He came into the creation to save it, to restore it. All right, I mentioned the, the light-darkness contrast here. This is a picture that we're going to get a lot in the New Testament. John especially seems to like working with these light-dark themes, which is why in chapter 1 I suggested maybe there's something to do with Gnosticism already happening at the end of the first century because that's a major theme in Gnosticism, that idea of the light being like a spark within us. So John's kind of refuting that by teaching that Jesus is the light and what that truly does mean. The one who does wicked things tries to hide them. He doesn't want them revealed in the light. So the wicked one will not will not bring himself to Christ because that would mean his wickedness would be brought to light. Christ, however, is the light of the world who is seeking out us to think of other spots in Scripture that talk about him as the good shepherd who seeks out his sheep. So Christ will, will bring us to light, and he will help us to have deeds that are worthy of the light. I mentioned earlier this connects to Nicodemus visiting at night. He was too ashamed to see Jesus in the daylight, to have this conversation in the daylight. There might be something to consider there. All right, so Jesus goes out, he and the disciples, and the text says Jesus is baptizing. Typically, we get the picture from the other Gospels that the disciples were doing it. Um, but again, following up on verses 3, 4, and 5 here, John himself was baptizing at Anon, which is about five miles west of the Jordan River, and people continued coming to him for that because he's not yet in prison. A little side note that John gives to us about John the Baptist. And we're going to end here with this discussion between John's disciples and John. Uh, there's a mention of a, a dispute amongst them over purification, but that's not really what we get discussed. Uh, 
they end up being upset that Jesus is baptizing. Rabbi, he who is with you across the river, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. They are concerned for their master. They follow John the Baptist, and John's following is shrinking, while Jesus's is growing. That's what they're noting, a concern for John. That's similar to what you have with Moses and Joshua when there are those back in the camp who are prophesying, uh, Medad and Eldad, if I recall correctly, and, and Moses says something very similar, uh, that would that all were prophesying, are you jealous for my sake? So John the Baptist here ends up teaching this very same idea. So verse 28, he mentions what he's said to them before, that this is he's not the Christ. He was sent to make the way for the Christ. So verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Bride, that's the church, the disciples. The bridegroom is Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom here is John. So John, as the friend, rejoices that the groom has his bride. John's not upset that all the disciples, all the people are flocking to Jesus. It's why he came. It was his purpose was to point to Jesus. And he recognizes this. This is a good thing. So he rejoices together with Jesus. His joy is now complete because his task is complete. He must increase, Jesus, but I must decrease. That is a very humble and worthwhile position and one that I would encourage brother pastors and myself as well. The job is not about me, but it is to point the hearer to Christ. May he increase and I decrease. So Jesus is above all. It's verse 31, while John is of the earth. Um, so John is one also needing bo- to be born again, as Jesus talked about to Nicodemus. He came from God, but nobody receives his testimony. Yet he who receives him knows that God is true. So it's going to get into Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, the life, later on here in the gospel. He whom God has sent, so Jesus, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus pours out the Spirit on us, upon his church, upon his people. Lastly here, we will end with, as we already talked about, verse 36, so we'll do just verse 35. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. All things, all of creation is Jesus to care for. This is similar to what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the, uh, the 20s there, that God the Father has subjected all things under Christ. Christ is king over all. So we're meeting our king. So we're seeing the kingdom of God here in the book of John.